So, Brad, when the pandemic hit Los Angeles in mid-March, the Los Angeles Library sent out an email and said, Hey, everybody, we're shutting down. (laughs) Everybody just keep the books you have. (laughs) Everything's fine. It's okay. Just keep all... Keep all the books you checked out. Everything's gonna be. You can read it in the email. It's like we're all gonna be fine. Everybody just keep the books. Yeah, just, keep the books for now. Just keep we'll the books and all the germs you got on them. Just yeah, keep them in your place. We don't want to see you. We don't want to touch anything you touched. So just everybody stay home. So anyway, I in in a rare fit of optimism, I just happened, Brad, to have checked out. I'm not joking. 16 graphic novels, oh. like the week before the pandemic. Not at all intentionally. I was just like, I'm in the mood to read comics. Yeah. And uh, so I had 16 good size uh, graphic novels. Some of them are series, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, great, I'll just hold on to these. And for the last, I don't know, what are we at now? Eight months out, seven months out God, uh, from that? I, I try I've just had them by my bed. <laughs> yeah. And every once in a while, I'll be like, I'm going to read a graphic novel. Yeah. And so I will peruse through it. Well, uh, this last couple weeks, uh, L- Los Angeles Public Library has started to establish this new curbside library system where and in L.A. everybody's got a car. So you can request the book online. You pull up to a designated library. They you, Basically, you drive by. They throw it in your car window. <laughs> and, then, and then they scream, get out of here. And you drive, you know. Stop breathing. Like, it's like it's like the modern equivalent of hitting a horse on the ass to get the cowboy out of town, you know? They just scream at you as you drive out of the parking lot. Like, you jerk. And so you drive off with your new book. And then, honest to God, they, they um, you drop off the book and they don't even, they say, just be aware when you drop off a book, it won't be marked as checked in for a week or two because they're marking boxes like this came in on October 1st. So we'll open this box on October 15th. Oh, they're being like that. that careful with it. Yeah. Wow. Actually, you know what? Uh, 14-day wait them. period. More porn. Yeah, quarantine yeah, them. Just anyway, be smart about all of, it. All of this is to say, Brad, I have those 16 books that have been sitting by my bed for seven months, right? <laughs> so clearly the employees are coming back into the library system and they're starting to work on the computers again because all of a sudden I'm getting these emails going, <laughs> so your your books are a little bit overdue. Um, just, a, just a heads up, it's been seven months for those 16 books. Oh my God. But that, but that wasn't your fault because there was a good number of those months that you couldn't have returned them, right? I, well, yeah, and my, uh, Brad, you know how we all have hidden powers in this world? Yeah. Uh, My superpower, Brad, is my ability to talk librarians into waiving my overdue book fees. (laughs) It's the one skill, the one superpower I have is I go, hi, Margaret, it is Margaret, isn't it? Hello, Margaret. (laughs) My name, my name's David Kellett, I I live up the street. Yeah. Uh, I, I I have these three books, Margaret. I'm I want to tell you something, Margaret. I'm a book lover. I'm a book lover. Are you a book lover, Margaret? Anyway, Margaret, these books these books are were a journey, Margaret. They were a journey too. Have you ever had a book, Margaret, that just carried you, lifted your heart? Anyway, Margaret, here's oh the bad God. news. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, anyway, Margaret, here's the bad news. Anyway, Margaret, here's the bad news. I know you. As a, as a, clearly a woman who has carried herself with grace through her whole life has had moments you've had to face. This is my moment, Margaret. I have to face my truth. I have held this book too long, Margaret. Out of love. Out of love for the book, Margaret. Nothing less than love. But now I owe a dollar ten. And Margaret, I want you to know. <laughs> it isn't the dollar ten; it's the shame that I carry behind that dollar ten, and that's what I'm really asking you to get rid of is my and shame. Mar- <laughs> Margaret, I want. Can we have a meeting of the hearts on this, Margaret? Is it a crime, Margaret, to love a book too much? <laughs> if it 
is. Lock me up and throw oh, away the Margaret, key. Throw away the key, Margaret. <laughs> throw away the key. <laughs> And on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about loving books and making comics. <laughs> and loving books and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and the co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave! Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. Uh, so this week, we want to give a huge shout-out of thanks over to the good folks at Wacom at W-A-C-O-M.com. Wacom, who is famous for never having an overdue book at a library system. I don't think there's a uh, single person. We've talked to a few of the people down there at Wacom, and there's not a single one of them that looks like they'd ever have an overdue book. No, uh, what they're, you know what, their focus is not on keeping a book too long. Their no. focus is on creating a cre- an incredible drawing tablet, which is why we have numerous ones in our own studio and can wholeheartedly endorse the entire Wacom Cintiq line, the Wacom, the new Wacom One. Oh, uh, especially that, that, that Wacom fantastic. One. I've been using that all through quarantine. And I'm telling you, it gets me it gets me through when I've got to take a little work on the go and uh, and go out and work outside of the studio. I plug that Wacom One in and I always get professional level results that I can rely on. So uh, for everyone, including Margaret, we yeah. want to say uh, thank you to our sponsors, the Wacom uh, One at W-A-C-O-M dot com. Bradley J. Geiger, yes. uh, I've got a question for you I want to ask you. This comes in from Joel, and Joel writes, hey, Brad and Dave, for an artist starting a new strip but who doesn't have a big network of social media mutuals. Oh, I like that. So mm-hmm. do, uh, Social media mutuals. Interested in comics. What are some good ways to start building an audience these days? I use tags on Instagram, but that whole platform feels very chaotic for someone trying to establish a following, mm-hmm. particularly for a strip with a linear story. Thanks. I love the show and I'm grateful for what you do. Bradley J. Geiger, yeah. Philadelphia PA. Joel's got a great question here. Basically, how do you start the train? You know, that first gear on a train that's gigantic <laughs> where they're trying to move 400 tons. Yeah, you're just trying to get some forward momentum. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing right off the bat. Since he mentioned doing a comic strip with a linear storyline, I already got in touch with Joel privately because I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole on the show. And I said, you need to listen to Comic Lab episode 22, where we talk specifically about doing linear storylines in comic strips. And so Specifically, I said I think it's 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 a really bad idea in today's uh, publishing landscape, and uh, and and I and I spent most of that show trying to explain uh, how you really should be making some different decisions. I'm not going to go down that road, um, other than to say if if you uh, listen to the podcast are thinking about doing uh, something similar, listen to episode 22. <laughs> it's got all my thoughts on linear storyline specifically comic strips. for that is specifically for folks that are looking to do a storyline a long term a long form story in comic strip format yes. right that's what you're saying yes, yes. okay a linear storyline so uh so here's here's here, so that's the first bad news now let's get on to the second bad news for Joel uh Joel the answer is, is the, the answer is going to be 
uh, disappointing to you because I know what you want to hear is something about some great hashtag strategy. We've talked about the magic hashtag uh, in the past. Now there is no such thing, or or some oh, you know one weird trick that'll that'll make social media go in your favor. Uh, there is no such thing. They, it, there's just nothing that is going to be what you're looking for here. On the other hand, there is one thing that is tried and true and has been working for literally decades, and it's this. Do a good comic. Do the best comic that you possibly can do. Pour your heart into it. Work on it. If you're working in in a comic strip, it makes me think that you might be doing humor. So you need to really edit and rewrite and edit and rewrite and really polish that punchline, push it as far as you can get it, uh, to make it as funny as you can get it. But your answer is do a good comic and post it regularly on that social media with as much frequency as you can uh, while maintaining consistency. Okay? Yes. Do a good comic, post it. In my opinion, it is hard to hide good work on the internet for very long. Right? It's going to feel like you're hidden at first because you just got a few people. But if you continue to post good things, continue to post good comics, compelling comics, uh, uh, comics that are written in such a way that I can understand it right now, even if I don't know the backstory. And that's another reason I'm going to try and talk you out of a linear storyline in a comic strip. If you can do all that, you can build your own social media following. But it's going to take a long time. Uh, Instagram, I've got nothing... (laughs) I've got no advice for you there because I can't get anything started on Instagram and I've been trying for years. So I got nothing for you there. Uh, But in social media in general, I'm going to tell you, do a good comic. Keep putting it out uh, consistently. Uh, Follow the four C's of social media that we talk about all the time and you will build your audience uh, over time. Yeah. And so I, first of all, I, I heavily co-sign all of that. I think Brad is right on point with that stuff. Um, I will say too, that, um, this especially goes to, well, Brad and Dave, you had it easier back in the day. And, and the truth is no matter who you are, when you are starting, it is the same feeling of walking through molasses. Like, why is it so hard to grow this audience? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, because when a comic grows, and that's not a guarantee, but when a comic grows, I think it is most helpful to see the growth as an exponential growth chart. Yeah. Because because an exponential growth can have a super long tail at the at the left-hand side of the chart where it feels like you're yes. not growing at all. I went from one reader to two readers to four readers mm-hmm. to eight readers. Oh, whoop-dee-doo, look at me now with 16 readers. You know, like, right. like it doesn't feel like much. But then the reason why Brad and I say it's a years long endeavor is that a few years in, you don't know which one, but one of those 100, 200 readers that you've now amassed suddenly sends it to the right person and yep. they spread it to, you know, and then though, uh, it, it literally is they tell two friends and they tell two friends. <laughs> and so but on and to so have on that so sort on. of to have that sort of network effect start to begin. Yeah. It is a long, slow tail of exponential growth at first. And then all of a sudden. 
not all of a sudden, but over the course of a couple of years, you'll yeah. be like, wow, it's really starting to grow now. And by the way, it always seems to work out that at that same point, you are also becoming a better cartoonist after yes. three, four, five, six, seven years of cartooning. Yeah. And I'm going to say one thing about what you opened up with, with this whole, it was easier when you started. I think there's a there's an inbred fallacy to that that whole it was easier when you started. Inbred fallacy is the, is the name of my D and D campaign, by the way. <laughs> I was just gonna I wanted to give that a little plug while I was there. Inbred fallacy available <laughs> at a bookstore near you. Uh, and no, there there is something ingrained in that that uh, it, it's easy to look at Dave and I. We started in 2000. I was easier back then. It's yeah. it's impossible to explain to somebody that we didn't have uh, the promotional uh, uh, abilities that social media gives you today. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that we literally had to rely on people bumping into us on the internet and discovering us. But oh, but that's fine. I'm not going to explain. We, we've explained that all before we talked about it. If you understand it, you understand it. If you don't, you don't. Here's what I'm going to tell you, somebody who is starting out today. My fervent wish for you is that you stick with it long enough and you gain your own success and earn your own success that 20 down, 20 years down the line, somebody looks at you and says, yeah, but it was easier when you started. Because the truth of the matter is, is when you do anything for a length of time, somebody's always going to look at you and say, yeah, but it was easier when you started. What you're exactly. doing yeah. what you're doing today, you don't, real, you don't realize it, but the thing that you start today, when people look at it 20 years down the line, they're going to look back at you and you're, they're going to say, yeah, but it was easier when you started. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know how hard it is, Brad, to do hollow comics now. <laughs> you, yes. When you guys were doing it on Twitter and Instagram before we had hollow Facebook, then then yeah. you know it was it was easier before we were um, downloading things things directly into our brains. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think um, part of this too is at the beginning you said I don't have a lot of social media mutuals with yeah. with comics, and I think that's true. We all can relate to that, but I think depending on the people in your life and depending on how comfortable you are saying it. Uh, tell family, tell old alumni from your old school, mm -hmm. tell friends from your childhood, tell coworkers if you, if it won't get you in trouble at work that you're doing a comic on the side. Yeah. Um, what I'm getting at is you have a, a network, but it is a true social network, not a digital network. So you can use the old fashioned social network of telling the people in your life because you may be surprised as I sometimes am. Uh, who in your life likes comics? Mm -hmm. you, you're like, you know, the, the lawyer cousin that you're like, they don't read comics. You might be surprised. They love comics. They just don't share it with anybody, but they love comics. So um, I've had that happen a few times in my life. Not only that, but I'm going to I'm going to skew that thought just a little bit. The last thing I'm looking for is people who like comics. That's that's the laziest and most fruitless marketing that you can do or and yeah. promotion. Okay. Uh that's it, when 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 McDonald's does an advertisement, they don't say, "Hey, do you like food?" <laughs> nobody says nobody says Brad, Brad even better. <laughs> do you friends, do you like pictures? Do you like words? <laughs> do you Have like you words considered and words pictures? and pictures? <laughs> yes. That that's that's the laziest if if your idea of social media is that you need to find people who like comics, you need to stop and restart thinking about <laughs> uh, social media. What you need to find is not people who like comics necessarily. You need people who are interested in the topics that your comic is going to address the sorts That's of things, the themes, the ideas. If your comic is about mermaid, you need to find the mermaid fans. If your comic's about uh, dumbstruck uh, drivers, you need to find the dump truck drivers people where they... Uh, <laughs> 
I'm running out of breath. <laughs> Where they live, you gotta find the people who are interested in your topic. It's not about finding people who like comics. That that's the that's that that's fruitless. You want to find the people who are into your topic. I think that's a good that's a good button on that one mm-hmm. because um, so many times in our uh, web comics life, we have seen people who. Uh, mathematicians going to XKCD, yeah. historians going to Hark of Vagrant, uh, this or that going to a different comic. Not because they are inherently comics readers, because he, but because here is a comic that spoke to them where they live. Yeah. And so, uh, depending on the themes and 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 uh, through lines of your long-form story that you're talking about, Joel, um, you might be able to find audi- pre-existing audiences, yeah. pre-built audiences, that all you need to do is drop in at that subreddit or drop in at that forum and be like, hi! What up, Joel? And I'd like to show you my comic, you know. Yep. Um, uh, and by the way, Joel, I'm sorry you got kicked right before you sent that email. I, um, I don't know why my voice went high. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened there. Uh, well, moving on to a different topic, Brad, I wanted to talk to you, speaking of art, uh, oh. uh, because you, in the last couple of days, and so this is an outsider looking in, yeah. um, you, in the last couple of days, have been posting a style that has been bubbling up into your work, I would say, as a friend mm-hmm. for the last, I don't know, six to 18 months, versions of this. Yeah. But all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, what I would determine to be a new style is clicking for you, and I am super enamored of it. So before we jump into the conversation, let me just describe for everyone. Uh, Brad started in the comic strip world, mm-hmm. right, with Greystone Inn, and you guys can do a quick Google search and see that style, oh, right? please don't. It was a... <laughs> But it had very heavy comic strip themes, mm-hmm. right? But then as Brad transitioned to Evil Inc., a comic strip about superheroes, and a, a, um, he, very rightfully so, went towards a more realistic comic book style than, rather than comic strip style, where a lot of characters went from, instead of being two heads high, three heads high, four heads high, they were now five heads high and, and had good anatomy and the eyes were amazing and that kind of stuff. Now, trickling back into the work, I have seen it in the last year, whenever you needed to... Uh, quickly put out a comic that was basically just, here's a joke, everybody. Bang, bang, bang. I'm going to crank this one out. I would see you go towards a more chibi style, right? Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, in the last month or so, this chibi style has clicked, and it is cute as heck. (laughs) And I wanted to, I don't know how to talk about this other than to say, I, as an outsider, have noticed this new style coming into your work, and I wanted to see if we could capture this moment of you talking about how conscious or not conscious you are of a new style developing in your art. Well, it's something that, I, that I've that i been uh, developing uh, for a while because uh, along with doing Patreon, uh, what, I, what I've been trying to do is, is obviously, you know my philosophy for Patreon is to post as many things as you can for your backers as exclusive content. Yeah, my my description of Brad's Patreon is over-attentive lover. Um, he's he's just putting out too much stuff. Yeah. He's just overworking. I, you well, know? no, I, I figure I, my philosophy is that if you if you're on somebody's Patreon, you want something for your money, and the more I can throw at them uh, that is exclusive that only they are getting, uh, the more that that's worth for them. Yeah, because also I think your philosophy is because if and when they step away, they'll be like, oh, that was a lot of stuff. Yeah. I miss having all that stuff. I miss getting that email or that notification saying you've got something else from Geiger today. You know, that's that's what that's what I want to build. 
Uh, and, uh, and so over the past couple of years, and the reason that you're seeing, noticing it now is actually two different things. One is you're seeing a bunch of the stuff that was exclusive last year that I used as promotional stuff by posting it publicly this year. A lot of the Halloween single panel stuff that you saw was actually exclusives last year. Uh, but every every October, I do a, a special offer where I offer a uh, not safe for work e comic, and now it's ballooned up to like eighty five pages. And so I figured I'm going to post a lot of single panel work that was exclusives last year that I can use to promote this special offer this year, uh, and of course drive more people into my Patreon. So you're seeing more of it than you would have seen it uh, otherwise, uh, but. Also, in this idea of trying to do more, um, I, I can. I, I wanted part of that meant doing a little bit more single panel work, which I've always found a challenge. Uh, but uh, obviously, I can do a single panel comic in much less time than I can do a full page uh, Evil Ink or Evil Ink After Dark. So, doing these uh, single panel comics, uh, I, I, I found that if I kind of adopted my Greystone in style a little bit and and brought it back to that and and polished it up a little bit I could do bonus comics a lot more quickly put out a bunch more content and kind of satisfy this internal need I have to uh to to produce a whole lot of stuff at the same time that was happening I this 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 year particularly I was coming off of a really difficult September where I had a lot of creative problems. Like I, I, I if you heard like in the la, uh, in that writer's room that we were, we had a, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks back, I, I was having a lot of trouble getting my wheels turning uh, right. creatively. I slumped back uh, considerably in what I had uh, was able to post in September. Like usually I'm posting, if not every day, uh, much more than every other day. It's it's usually either yeah, oh, oh, two thirds over attentive lover. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah. That's... And 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 I really uh, it slid back to in September to uh, to maybe I think sixteen or eighteen posts, like way oh, scandal, way under what I typically post. <laughs> and I was and 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 it's not like I saw a big. Uh, I, I saw three or four people jump out that they said he's not delivering like he uh, generally does, which, uh, of course, cuts me to the core. Uh, but uh, it's not like I saw like this big retreat of backers, but it bothered me. It bothered my sense of of what I owe people who are backing me on Patreon. Uh, and I and, and and not only that, but. So coming off of a tough September and coming into October when uh, Halloween was basically going to be canceled, right? With the COVID right. pandemic, uh, we we couldn't throw our annual Christmas, or I forget Christmas, we couldn't throw our annual Halloween house party that we had become kind of within our circles famous for like, mm-hmm. like we always threw a huge house party. There's a number of kids that had their first trick or treat uh, uh, experience at our house. It's the one time a year, Dave, that I become social. The one time a year <laughs> that I don't absolutely uh, loathe having people in my house. This right, is my right. one time that I become social and we decorate the house. We put the tackiest decorations out on the porch 
And and we have a great time. We we get we get catering. We do we do it up. We we have a blast. And I couldn't get excited over it this year because it, the whole thing was ruined by the pandemic. And it was really bugging me. In fact, we still don't have like decorations put out. Uh, and having Halloween ruined and coming off of a September, I really was like, I I need to do something. I need to I need to bust myself. Oh, that's onto interesting. This. So you're saying, in, on some level, you're saying that that Halloween being taken from you a little bit killed your spirit to create. I was yes. wondering where you were going with yes. that, but you're saying there's a correlative. Yeah. Okay. Because I'll tell you, Brad, uh, not that it gets us anywhere conversationally, but when San Diego Comic-Con didn't happen, uh, I know you a little bit every year think that I'm faking, but <laughs> Comic-Con energizes me. Yes. Like, I come away, like, ready to create. I'm so excited, and I, I, I'm ex- physically exhausted, but emotionally so enriched. And my July really sucked this year creatively because yeah. I didn't have Comic-Con. So it's interesting that you and I have these little touchstone moments in our year that we look to to like kind of recharge the batteries, yeah. you know? And and Halloween very much is that for me. Yeah, like clearly, it, yeah. And I look back uh and between the special offer and I always do for the for the not safe for work crowd, I do something called Real Housewives of Transylvania, which always has all kinds of great ideas that comes out of that and mm-hmm. it's always like fun. And I, uh, I, I, none of that was happening <laughs> coming into October and I had to break myself free of it. And so basically what I said was I, to myself, listen, you, if for no other thing that you can do, if you've got nothing else going, you can do, uh, these simple bonus comics, these one right. panel, uh, things. Right. And so I, I did what I, typically do in this situation, I'm like, okay, give me one situation, one person with a problem. Because what I tell my storytelling students all the time, if you've got a person who wants something that is being blocked from that want, you've got a story, right? That's all you need is a person with a want. So I came up with a witch and and it was actually based on a a character that just popped in for one appearance last year in a bonus comic, uh, another single panel thing. I, but she was fun. She was kind of fun to draw. So I okay. took her and I'm like, here's a, here's a witch and she's dating. She's trying to date today. And so it came up with all of these ideas, for example, and, and, and of course I could kind of let my macabre side out, do a little Charles Adams stuff. And one, she was, she had uh, tied some guy down to a bed and she had this huge ax, like, you know, like a hangman or somebody would use an ax right, like right. this. She had a huge ax and this guy is screaming his head off. And she says, finally, a man who can express his emotions. And it's just, and it was just stuff like that. That was just silly. There was one that she's standing next to a hole and there's all these sound effects coming out. The the person saying, help me, save me, let me out. And she says, I hate a man who can't take no for an answer. And so, so they were, what I'm saying is they were real simple ideas and I could put them out quickly. And part of what you're seeing was my adopting a style that I could bang out very quickly just to get a bunch of, A, to get a bunch of stuff for my Patreon backers, and B, so I could do it quickly. Well, as utilitarian as the reasoning behind it is, I guess I should say that as as a reader and as a friend, I'm excited to see that the end result created something 
very unique and interesting and frankly cute of your style that I have not seen you draw before. And sometimes life forces us into like, well, I got to draw it this way. Uh, And I don't I don't know what to say other than I'm really enamored with this new offshoot of your style. And I just want to kind of put a flag in this moment uh, so that you market, you know, as like, oh, maybe I should explore this style more because even if it was a utilitarian reason that got you there, maybe stick around for a little bit. It's kind of a fun style. So what 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 going back into my journey through Patreon is obviously I got the most attention and, and I got a big push when I started doing Not Safe for Work. The right. interesting thing about this is that I think I did a dozen of these comics. Only two of them are truly not safe for work. Uh, the rest of them uh, were perfectly safe for work. I was going to say, that sounds like two Charles Adams jokes, the ones you did before. <laughs> no, there. those were perfectly safe, technically. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, they, they were, they were uh, and, and my Patreon readership, unless, unless there's like something that I'm not seeing, like a, like a pushback that I haven't uh, experienced yet. Uh, maybe at the end of the month, a whole bunch of them uh, leave and say, "Oh, I hated all those." Uh, but what I'm, what right now, what I think I'm seeing is that they enjoyed that as much as the not safe for work stuff. So right, what I, right. what I think, I, I, what I, I don't know that I'm going to do that in November to the same extent. But what I think I very well might do is come up with another uh, uh, kind of uh, very simple story hook. Like, but next time maybe it's a mermaid or next time it's an astronaut or next time it's a pirate and just to challenge myself to do six or seven single panel comics in that style because a, I can, I can do them quickly and, and B, I can use that to make sure that I'm maintaining that steady beat of, uh, stuff that's coming into my Patreon members uh, inbox. Right, right. It's it's interesting and and so before we put a cap on this I want to I want to maybe make this a, a moment of advice. So um one of the advantages to trying to draw every once in a while in someone else's style, mm-hmm. like you try to draw Charles Schultz's style, you try to draw Charles Adams style, you try to draw Lynn Johnson style is that um it teaches you a completely different way to form and create a character, to 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 draw a world, different line art styles, all that sort of stuff, right? And in my mind, Lar Souza is the king of this. He's always yeah. he's always experimenting with different line art, right? And uh, it informs his own work. Uh, uh, over the course of the 4,000 strips of Sheldon, I've done different things. Like I've done a family circus version of Sheldon. I've mm-hmm. done a, a bringing up father version of Sheldon, a Garfield version of Sheldon, whatever it is. And what's fun is you kind of either put that tool back in your toolkit and go, okay, now I know how to do that. Or it slightly informs your work. But what's nice is for those of you listening who are three, four, five, six years into your cartooning, um, if you ever have a project where you can, like Brad, try out a slightly different style, mm-hmm. gosh, I, I can't recommend it enough because doing Drive in a slightly different style than Sheldon and doing my anatomy comics in a slightly different style than yeah. Drive or Sheldon and then doing my upcoming kids book in a very different style from those three styles, it's really fun once your hand is capable enough to try out a different style, don't you think, Brad? Yeah. Oh no, and it's and not only that, but see, uh, again, like you're pointing out, 
it always feeds back because now every now and again, when I've got like a side character in Evil Inc., I'll, I'll, I'm drawing him and it turns out that he's very much from that world of the single panel comics and he looks perfectly fine. You can you can immediately see, okay, this is just a side character. You know, he's not part of the Evil Inc. universe. Uh, but 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 it but it adds a depth and a layering that uh, that made Evil Ink uh, this past month even better because it's happened a number of times now and it's like oh yeah these these look really good together you know it, it's it's kind of yeah. weird to mix and match it but he landed in there uh, this this convenience store worker uh, landed in there drawn just in that bonus comic style and it made Evil Ink a better comic that day so it's yeah. it's really good it all kind of builds on itself nothing is ever wasted when you're doing this stuff yeah and when you when you develop those tools um you can a little bit uh, sometimes get something like a um uh, a Spider-Verse type thing where very different styles, very different looks can still, if drawn closely enough, mm-hmm. work together so you can have a Spider-Ham next to a, a more CGI, you know, uh, anime character in Spider-Verse. Yeah. And they work together. And much the same as what's happening for you in, in your storytelling. Anyway, uh, it's just an interesting point of, of uh, that as a friend, I noticed, oh, this is a distinct step away for Brad. And it's working, and yeah. how fun is that? And so I just wanted to, to make that a point of conversation for a minute. And just to put a button on it, it worked. It it it, it did what it, I needed it to do for Patreon, but also yes. it needed what I it did what I needed it to do mentally. It broke me out. I'm I got excited yes. again. Uh, I've got something uh, that I have planned for Halloween. I ain't gonna say it. Uh, because I don't want to ruin it. There's uh, there's a couple of little parts that still need to fall into place. But if it comes out, I've got an amazing story for next week, uh, and it and it busted me out. And I and I've been like obsessed with it. Last two weekends, I've been working on it. It did what I needed it to do. It busted right. me it, out. It produced the thing in the moment, and it also broke you out of the of the the molasses you were in creatively, yeah, which yeah. is great. And I'm in a much better mental place now. That's fantastic. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Brad, as a fun change of pace, I heard a phrase the other day, yeah, uh, and I was I immediately applied it to cartoonists in my mind, and I thought it would be fun to share it with you, which is that uh, car- there is a difference between celebrity and fame. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, cartoonists are famous, but they are not celebrities. Right. And to my personality, there is something really wonderful about that. <laughs> Celebrity is when you can't go anywhere without being recognized. Right. Fame is when somebody recognizes you on the bus, but you're still on the bus. <laughs> that's that's the difference between celebrity and fame is uh, we've got fame to a degree. We've got fame, but we're still riding the bus. 
So in my mind, celebrity versus fame is celebrity. You can't walk into a door without someone going, oh, there's Brad Geiger. There's, right. Oh, look, there's Brad Geiger, Brad Geiger. Whereas fame is no one knows who you are until you write down on the restaurant major D table. Yeah. Table for Brad Geiger. And they go, wait, where do I know that name from? Brad yeah. Geiger, Brad Geiger. Do you do a comic strip? And then, and then you're famous. Yeah. For that, that moment, you're famous for that moment. You're famous for that moment. And I, I'll be honest as an, for me, uh, an extroverted introvert, mm-hmm. I love that I am never going to be a celebrity. Yeah. I have seen uh, through my wife's life, uh, a <gasps> oh, celebrity up close. Yeah. And I will be honest. It's everyone thinks that they would love to be a superstar or a Hollywood starlet or whatever it is. Yeah. I, you don't want that. It's not the life you want. It's not no. comfortable when you're licking an ice cream and someone walks up to you and goes, oh, Brad Geiger, Brad Geiger, can I take a quick selfie? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. you know, your hair looks terrible and you're wearing a, a T-shirt from 20 years ago. And they're like, Brad Geiger, Brad Geiger, can I get a photo? <laughs> when you're wearing a T-shirt from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm set, I I wore my as, Keen as Spot. As Brad is wearing a T-shirt from 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm wearing my Keen Spot T-shirt No, but today. I've been with friends, yeah. especially on vacation, where... They are bothered by fans yeah. for selfies constantly. And you're like, you don't want that. That's not a life. That's not what you want. You think you want that. Yeah. You you do not want that in real life. Dave, think about how every now and again we get really peeved about something that someone says to us on social media. And 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 then you go, why would they say something like that? Why would they tweet that? Why? And and we kind of are like, that's really annoying that they would do that. Right. That happens to us. Uh, not frequently, but it's not infrequent. Let's put it that way. Now imagine you're a celebrity. Those moments aren't happening on Twitter. They're happening in real life, in your face, and they happen with a daily regularity. Yes. That would be really, really difficult to live with. And also with a level of creepiness that we yes. never encounter online. Oh, I know. You know? I know. And so it, it made me realize that uh, cartooning is, God, it is a tailor-made career for me. Yes. In that... I don't mind the idea of having a certain soapbox, which I think is what a fame gives you, mm-hmm. you know, a certain lectern that you can talk to publicly. But uh, I love the idea that I walk into a restaurant, a library, a bookstore, or for the last seven months, my living room and only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and no one knows who I am. Sorry, only because of the pandemic, I was thinking about that. Uh, the, I, I just love the idea that I never have to be performative on a personal level. Yeah. Only my work has to be performative, you mm-hmm. know? And you can let that speak for you. Yeah, because for, let's say for an actor, since we're on that, for an actor, they are interchangeable for their work. Their work mm-hmm. is them and they are their work. For Brad Geiger, your work is over here on yep. the page. Brad Geiger is over here wearing a 20-year-old T-shirt. And those are two very <laughs> different things, you know? Oh, very much so. <laughs> uh, and there's something nice about that, that we will never be celebrities. No. And it's interesting that the cartoonists that did gain celebrity mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it for the most part. I was just going to ask you, because celebrity obviously comes with uh, a mass... Uh, mass media. In other words, celebrity comes with a really big uh, outlay of of exposure. Uh, that came, uh, for better or for worse, with newspaper comics because newspapers were at one point the main mass media. And even after radio and, and later television, uh, newspapers still had a really big chunk of print media. 
And so you had the ability to have a celebrity come out of newspaper newspaper comics like Jim Davis and Charles Schultz and uh, and uh, oh, I'm blanking on for better for worse. Uh, uh, Lynn Johnson. Uh, Lynn Johnson. Uh, like like all of these and Kathy Geiswhite, you had. The ability, I mean, let's face it, Kathy, Kathy Geiswhite was on The Tonight Show with Johnny I was Carson. Say of all of them, I think Kathy's the only one that, for the briefest of glimpses, yeah. enjoyed her celebrity. And she was truly a celebrity at one point, yeah. Do you think there will ever be a celebrity cartoonist again? Uh, not, uh, no, because I think human uh, culture human culture i think culture in general right now is more fragmented and will be for mm-hmm. the next 20 to 30 years but there's going to be there's going to be another movie star celebrity right sure sure uh but if you think about it film is not yet distributed enough in its production where it can be done cheaply mm-hmm. uh, cheaply enough such that we have uh micro events what i'm saying is film is still a mass event it's still a mass media yeah whereas comics uh are no longer mass distributed in newspapers that everyone in america reads mm-hmm. they are micro events to ten thousand people here a hundred thousand people here half a million people there and that's not the celebrity that that uh, Jim Davis had being in twenty six hundred papers, or or uh, Schultz had being in twenty six hundred papers, that kind of thing, you know, or even Matt Groening uh, going from alt news weeklies to uh, to animation. Well, that's funny. You should bring up Matt because I, in the making of Stripped, I was around him three or four different times in different venues and places, mm-hmm. and um, I will tell you, he doesn't. He, that li- you don't want that life either. You don't want his life. His life of celebrity. Really, he is immensely wealthy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but he can't. He literally keeps a tiny little sharpie on an on a necklace on his uh, personage because he is constantly being asked to sign things, Brad. Oh my god! Constantly. That would be scary. That would be that'd be too much. Imagine, Brad, you go out of the house and you're like, I got my keys. All right, I got my wallet. And I have the Sharpie that I wear on a necklace, the mini Sharpie yeah. that I wear on a necklace because people are constantly asking me to sign stuff. I keep forgetting to leave the house with my mask and I got to turn around and go get it. I've, could you imagine with a Sharpie? And then it's going through the wash every yeah. uh, other week. What a mess. And then, uh, you know, so it's interesting, the strategies, too, like Jim Davis has the money to live anywhere. I mean, in the most expensive New York or Paris or London or Los Angeles house, Uh he chose he chose to go back and stay in the most podunk Indiana location he could because no one's going to go out and visit him out there. You know, right. Except for you. Uh, Well, I did. But uh, (laughs) and even Schultz, you know, uh, Santa Rosa is a bigger city now. But when he Mm -hmm. first moved there, it was kind of nothing when Schultz moved up there. Right. So the ones that did the it's interesting that for for our personalities as artists, the yeah. ones that did gain celebrity, they retreat as much as they can because they it's not what you want as a cartoonist. Right. No, I think I think you're right. I'm, I, I think I'm perfectly fine with whatever small amount of notoriety that I have. Uh, I, I don't think I'd be cut out for a celebrity. Yeah. The only time if you think about it, the only time that we are celebrities, quote unquote, <gasps> Is when we are in a specific location, mm-hmm. a Comic Con or a book signing, yep. and there is a giant plastic sign behind us that says "Brad Geiger <laughs> now signing." This is who this is, and then a big arrow pointing <laughs> to you. This, see this ugly guy? That's Dave Kellett. There, that's him signing. And yeah, people go, "Oh, you're Dave Kellett. You look different. I thought you were Brad Geiger." <laughs> hey, now you know. Thanks to the arrow. Well, listen, Dave. We've got a uh, five dollar question came in from Steve Barry that I'm going to segue over to because uh, it's a great 
great topic. Listen to this. Hi, guys. I've seen you both use Kickstarter to fund the first print run of your books. Mm-hmm. How do you fund the subsequent print runs? Is that factored into the price you set for a book? In other words, you've done a Kickstarter, you've uh, ordered, let's say, 500 books, or you've ordered 1,000 books. You've sold through all of those. Now what? How do you how do you do the reprint? Oh, this, <laughs> this is such a great question because I've yeah. had to face this, let's see, not often, but three times in my career. Look, mm-hmm. Listen to Brad cracking open a cold one over there. Did everybody <laughs> hear that? <laughs> by the way, by cold one, I think that's a sparkling water. Is that it what is that a is? sparkling water, yes. Oh, my God. Uh, so for me, I've had to do it three times. I've had to do it with my pug book. Yeah. I've had to do it with, believe it or not, the second Sheldon book because I had, I had not produced enough the first print run. Mm-hmm. And then I'm about to have to do it for the Drive Volume 1 and probably Volume 2. And so uh, I will tell you straight up, I hate it every time. Yeah. Every time. I yep. hate having to reprint a book. It is the worst. The math never works out. Uh, <laughs> you think you think uh, it's great because you're like, oh, hooray, people like the book. I got to make more of it. Yep. No, it sucks. You wish every time that you wish you had just a thousand more from the first print run. Yeah. But it is what it is. Uh, and so I will tell you the strategies that I've used for the pug book. Um, that dang thing sells like a mother. And so that was no problem. I just yeah. I just took a checkbook and I, I cut a check for the next print run and just kept selling them basically, mm-hmm. right? And so now uh, I'm on book three of those pug things and and they, the, the other previous print runs all sold out. That's fine. The one that was incredibly painful was uh, I have books one through now, one through 10 of the Sheldon collections and mm-hmm. I sold out of book two. Mm-hmm. And Brad, there is a not small percentage of the population that if you don't have book two, even for a non-linear comic strip, yes. they're like, well, I'll stop at book one then. Yep. And you're like, no, 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 there's there's eight other books. You can, you can go one, three, four, and they're like, I'm not going to do one, three, four. What yeah. am I, some kind of a, you know, crazy person? I can't do one, three, four. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that happen. And you, you can explain until you're blue in the face that this is nonlinear. They can easily buy one, three, and four and be perfectly happy. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And I listen, if I'm being honest about it, there's a tidy part of my personality that's a completionist enough where yes. I, I understand where they're coming from, right? So I also printed a second run of book two of Sheldon, also just by cutting a check. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I will ever see that money that was worth making that second print run just so I could sell a few hundred copies to completionists, you know? Yes, because you had to buy a bunch of them to make the unit costs come down so that it was profitable. And you're not going to sell that number. Because keep in mind, I was already at that point on book eight for Sheldon. So it's not like a lot of people were like clamoring for book two. Yeah. But in my mind, I was like, oh, I got to, for the completionist, I got to have book two. Yeah. And uh, so that was painful. So if you had to start all over again today, would you even put any noticeable numbering on your books? In other words... Uh, would you say the first Sheldon collection, the second Sheldon, or would you just say a blizzard of lizards and, uh, you know, stay, put just put the title on and leave it at that? Would you put no numbering? It's so great that you're asking that question, Brad. I'll tell you why. Uh, because no, the answer is no. That's the short answer is no. I would not yes. do that. You, do you remember, Brad, a couple episodes back, we talked about don't ever put a date 
on your books. Like mm-hmm. the best evil links of 2020, because as soon as it's 2021, no one cares about yeah. that 2020 book yeah. anymore. Right. And those 2020 jokes are still damned good. Yeah. And by the way, it only gets worse with time. When yes. you're when we're in 2026, <laughs> that's going to look like the most dated book ever. Nobody so, wants to read it. In the same vein that we said never put a calendar date on a book. Yeah. I think there is a very, 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 very strong argument for not numbering your books, Brad. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a sequential, uh, linear storyline. Right. A continuing long-form storyline. Then obviously you're going to want to say book one, book two, or act one, act two, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But yeah, Brad, I think you are spot on in, in saying no numbers on books. I'll tell you the the compromise I made for myself because I had that same situation. Uh, and what so I did have an opportunity It's because I was restarting uh, from square one with the Evil Inc. After Dark books. Mm-hmm. And I came up with it. So I'm like, OK, do I put a number on these or not? Because they're not really linear. They are, they're all standalone stories. Uh, what do I do? And so I, for me, I didn't put any numbering at all on the covers, no number at all, but I do have a little number one on the spine just, and it doesn't say anything else. It's just a number one. And then on the second book that came out, I did put a little number two on the spine, uh, but none of those, if I'm, if I'm ever displaying them someplace or if they're ever up on a store, right. you're going to see the cover. You're not going to see the spine. Now, if somebody really wants to put them into a collection, they'll have that spine to guide them. But it's never going to be part of my outward marketing because I don't want to set up that situation that bit me in the ass with Evil Inc., I think that's brilliant, and I, I will I will uh, yes and you on that, mm-hmm. is that it's great to put it on the spine. I've also seen it, I think, with, um, I don't remember what the title was, but I saw it on the back cover, like yep. a small little circle, bottom corner that just said a two or yep. a three, real small, real subtle on the back. I've also, and I think the sort of, um, the the power move is to do it on the spine or in the back, but then to do it in Roman numerals. Because the mind processes it even slightly less unless you're looking for it and like, well, I think I have four. I think I have six. And then, you you know, you're okay to process a Roman numeral. But no one really processes a Roman numeral at first glance. We all have to do the we all have to do the okay a line before a V. That's a four. (laughs) And then a V is a five. And then a line after a V is a six. You know what I mean? Like it's all it's one little bit of mental gymnastics to get to what the actual number is. I've got VII. I don't have IX or XXI. (laughs) I'm thinking maybe if I might stick around long enough to get XIV, but uh, but when it comes to XVI, I'm out. <laughs> I don't have the money to get as high as XVI. XV, yes. I'm, I'm a big yes on XV. You, you lost me on XVI. <laughs> so, no, so let's get, let's actually answer this poor guy's question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you, so now you said you just wrote a check. I, well, I, I was going to, I didn't get to my third scenario, which is what I'm going to do for Drive. There's a third scenario? Yeah. So for Drive, I, in the next, uh, 12 months or so, I have to do an act three book, which is about 250, 300 pages of drive. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, however, I'm dangerously low on book one and two. Now here's what you can't do. You can't sell out of a linear storyline book one. No, you cannot. Boy, it's, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to incorporate that into my next Kickstarter. Yes. So that you can get volumes one, two, three, volumes one, two, volumes one, two, you know, three, whatever it is. And in in so doing, part of that run will be underwritten by the Kickstarter itself, mm-hmm. you know? 
Yep. Um, it, it, will it be fully funded? No, probably not. I'll still probably have to kick in, a, you know, a few thousand on my own part. But at least it will be partially underfunded. Yep. And I think that's the way to do it. Don't you think, Brad? Absolutely. That was going to be my answer. You've got to yeah. build it into a subsequent Kickstarter. Uh, I will give you another version, though. I'll give you uh, number four version here. Here's another thing. We this goes all the way back to Web Comics Weekly. We pitched this, and uh, and I do think it's still valid as a strategy. And that is, you put out you know uh, your first graphic novel, then you put out your second graphic novel, you put out the third graphic novel. Uh, now you're onto the fourth, and one, two, and three in different spots are starting to disappear. That's when you come out and you collect one, two, and three into an omnibus edition. And now if you want to get one, two, and three, you can kickstart the omnibus of uh, those three. Maybe throw in some bonuses and, and this and that for the people who might have already gotten it to lure them into uh, into that. But, but, but I do like the idea of collecting some of that old material into an omnibus uh, because then technically if you stick with it long enough, uh, and now you're, you've got one, two, three omnibus, uh, and then you've got the four, five, six omnibus. There'd be really nothing stopping you from doing a one, two, three, four, five, six omnibus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and collect those into an even bigger tome. Uh, I do like the idea of uh, collecting into an omnibus. Yeah, i i want to I want to co-sign that because that is one of the things that I think Image Comics, specifically Image, does mm-hmm. really well. With their big sellers, yep. Um, I, I'm thinking of The Walking Dead or uh, Invincible. Invincible. Yeah. Um, you know, it starts off as a floppy. The floppy goes into either a half year or a year annual, and some of those are floppy, some of those are hardcovers. Let's just say they're floppies. Yeah. And then every two or three years, those get connected into uh, a, let's say an omnibus. I don't remember what their or, nomenclature well, you're is. You're skipping graphic novel or a trade paperback. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yep. And then what I'm getting at though is that then the three years gets collected, and then we've seen where the five, six, seven years get collected yeah. into a phone book size hard book cover called like the Ultimate Edition Invincible or whatever right. it is, you know. And uh it it kind of goes back to what we say as a as a strategy for web comics, which is draw it once, get paid for it multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Uh the same can also be true to Brad's advice with books. Yeah. Uh, draw it once, get paid in multiple different formats of books as you go. And uh, a bit of advice that I think we've said on the show uh, proper or on the Patreon Pro Tips podcast that we also record is that when you are producing, say, a hardcover, another thing you can do is the guts of the book, the text of the book mm-hmm. can be printed. Let's let's just do round even numbers. Let's say you're doing a thousand books uh, with a, with the text, right? And so you 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 tell the printer print a thousand innards of the book, but yep. make four hundred of them hardcover, make six hundred of them soft cover, and then yes. you just put a different cover on it, mm-hmm. uh, and that also achieves the 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 way of saying like you're going to upsell to the true fans with the hardcovers. Mm-hmm. But maybe for Comic-Cons and book signings and in-person appearances, you have the cheaper, easier to sell, frankly, easier to move soft covers ready to go at pennies difference to you in terms of production, you know? And that's something you can easily uh, ask any printer to do. You say split the the print, print run. Just if you can pronounce it better than I can, you just say split the print run and they'll know what you're talking about. You're doing. And, and that's what I do for uh, all my books now uh, that, that are coming out. I, I do, you know, 50 percent uh, soft cover, 50 percent uh, hardcover. 
And uh, then I've got those ready to go. And you're absolutely right. The soft covers are going to move to a certain market. You can put those up on Amazon very easily. You can put those into distribution. Uh, that's and then and then you've got the hard covers that you're, those are going to move more slowly. Here's what's happened to me. Uh, uh, Evil Link uh, After Dark Volume One. I've sold through just about all my soft covers, but I've got a, a healthy amount of hard covers left. Right, so I'm doing Volume Two, and I'm right now I'm uh, uh, fulfilling the Kickstarter for Volume Two. But when I was doing that Kickstarter, uh, I, I wanted to move those Volume One hard covers. So guess what? At some point, there was like a, uh, uh, a, a you know a special offer where it said if we hit this point, everybody gets uh, uh, the Volume One hardcover. Or I made that available on Backer right. Kit. But at right. that point, I just made the hardcover, and I made it like it was a big deal. Hey. This is an exclusive hardcover for just for you, for you Kickstarter people. We're making it the hardcover. I made that a positive thing and didn't even make the soft cover available. Uh, and now I'm moving all those hardcovers. And remember, one of the reasons why Brad can do that is because when it came time to price that book, yeah. he priced in future discounts at the mm -hmm. point of putting the price on the book. Yes. So that's why I, just as a back of envelope math, one of the reasons why I always say do five, six times cost of the book mm -hmm. production costs is because you are going to need that cushion when you sell to a bookstore, when you sell to yep. Amazon, or in Brad's case, when you discount the book or roll it into another offer at a reduced price. Yep. So Brad was wise and had a, not an inflated price, but a, a savvy price that let him make a living and also anticipated future discounts, future sales. Uh, and then future distribution models, don't you think, yeah. Brad? Remember, if you if you go into distribution, those distrib uh, those uh, avenues, distributors are going to take sixty five percent off the cover price, and then they're going to pay you that amount. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're going to get forty five percent of your cover price because they're going to no, I didn't do the math right. Thirty five percent of your cover price is what they're going to pay you. They're going to take sixty five percent off. You've got to, and I learned this the hard way, believe me, you've got to make your cover price high enough so that after they take 65% of it away, there's still enough money for you to cover your unit cost. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important to know what your unit cost is. And it's important, by the way, your unit cost isn't just the cost of that unit to be printed. You've also got to put a few um, uh, uh, dollars in there or a few cents in there to cover shipping from the uh, printer to you, shipping out, storing. You got to factor all of that into your unit cost because believe me, you got to pay that so you got to account for it. Anyway, that's why you need to know what your unit cost is because later on, if you're going to get into distribution, they're going to take 65% off and then pay you the rest. That's got to be still high enough to pay your unit cost. And then one other strategy to go back to the original question that you might want to employ, I have never personally employed it myself, but Brad mm -hmm. has, so he could probably talk about this, is that if you know the print run is done, you don't want to, do, you don't want to get another haul of 4,000 books because you know you're in your heart, you're only going to sell 100 of them. Mm -hmm. What Brad has done at key points in his career is done print on demand for mm -hmm. 100 volumes. Yep. So that it satisfies whatever that current moment of sales is. He got at least some margin of profit out of it, even though it's a less uh, uh, cushy margin. The books got out into the world, but Brad's not sitting on 4,000 copies of Evil Link volume whatever now because somebody had wanted another one. You know, that kind of thing. So print on demand is also another option, although I, I have never used it. Brad, do you want to speak to what your experience was? I'll only use it in a pinch because the uh, 
the profit margin is so low. Yeah, but if and I'm the in a situation, even though the quality, even though it's better than it was, is still not as perfect as Offset. Yeah, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it for a black and white book without thinking twice, uh, because that is pretty good. Uh, but in general, if, if I'm out of a book and I and I need to have that out. Uh, to, to make the sale uh, in some way, I'll do a print on demand in very rare circumstances if I'm kind of under the gun. Uh, right. But other than that, because the print margin is so low on print on demand, I usually don't. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, but in a pinch, absolutely. In a pinch, if you can deliver the same quality book that your uh, that that your uh, reader is going to expect, absolutely, you can do that and get yourself out of trouble. Yeah, and so I think those are the three options. One of them is yeah. cut a check. One of them is to roll into a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, uh, you could, I guess, do some kind of special offer on Patreon that's Kickstarter-like, but I don't know that I would recommend ah, anything like that. Yeah. So I think the only other option would be to um, would be to uh, do a print-on-demand. So anyway, we'll jump into our next question from Steve Galloway over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Steve writes, Dear Brad, to heck with Dave. No, he says... <laughs> Hey, Comic Uncles. Uh, comic Uncles, that's fun. Comic we got, Uncles. We get Comic Dads. We get Comic Uncles. I like uh, it. Once again, never Comic Hotties. Never Comic <laughs> nope. Studs. Never Comic Heartthrobs. Nope. Never Heartthrobs. <laughs> it's never like the two Corys on Teen Beat Magazine. We never get that. <laughs> oh, Boy, we missed that, our chance of being the two Corys. Did that date me by just saying <laughs> those two names of all the names I could have chosen? All right. Well, all right. Hey, Comics Uncles. I was wondering what mainstream comics you guys currently read or follow from Marvel, DC, or Image. And if you could have someone on the lab from Marvel or DC or Image to talk comics, who would it be? Thank you guys for being a bright light in a dark time. Saturday mornings are the highlight of the week to hear you two banter. Your kilted webcomic newbie, Steve G. So, Steve, ah, thanks for the great. question and for the kind words. We really appreciate that. And Bradley J. Geiger, I will turn this question to you first. Uh, of, of DC, Marvel, and Image, who are you currently reading? And then in a minute, we'll get to who would we have on the show. Yeah, okay, who am I reading? Uh, nobody. <laughs> I'm not reading anything from mainstream comics. Uh, I used to have a $50, $60 a week comic habit at my uh, local comic shop when the boy especially when the boys were little uh because I wanted to make going into a, a place with books a big exciting thing and I'd always get them the comic that they wanted uh that and then that they would read and so mm-hmm. forth I always wanted to kind of inspire reading habits that way and also I was still very much into comics at that point uh, and, and that was a good 20 years ago, because uh, my older son is uh, 18 at this point. Uh, I, I dropped out of comics a long time ago when they had done so many retcons and reboots and reimaginings that I literally was confused uh, by the relationships in, in the comics. I didn't know who was with who or who uh, was friends with who or who hated who. Uh, I couldn't keep any I couldn't keep any of the storylines straight because they had rebooted them so many times. I just finally got into a, a situation where I didn't care anymore. They they rebooted me right out, and and I don't even think that that was a bad thing. I, right. I, in other words, I'm not like, well, you those retcons lost you a good reader. Uh, I think they were trying to capture a different audience, uh, uh, and I I, I got uh, leveled out 
of that. And that's fine. The comics that they're putting out now are not for me anymore. And I'm comfortable with that. I have the comics that I enjoyed. I had the the storylines that I liked. I moved on to other things. And uh, and that's all kind of natural and normal. Uh, but no, I don't I don't read any mainstream comics anymore. Uh, there's lots of stuff I do read. I read a lot of stuff on the web. I, I see an awful lot of stuff uh, just through social media and stuff, and then I'll find stuff I like and follow it up. But in terms of following a comic uh, from mainstream, I not it, haven't done it in well over a decade. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way as you. Uh, there was a time in my high school, college years where I read a ton of mainstream yeah. stuff, Brad. I just couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was great. And then, like you, I realized that comics were rebooting every five years because their readership was aging out every five years. Mm-hmm. And that I had aged out and didn't, I couldn't tolerate the reboots, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's not an accident that they reboot because every time, every five years or so, uh, those readers are gone. And so they have to be like, all right, we're start, we're starting mm-hmm. it over. <laughs> it's a new Xavier and he's yep. got a whole new setup for the X-Men. This, huh? is, this is Peter Parker. He's, he's about to get bit by a spider. Hey, everybody. Again. These four people are in a spaceship and they're, oh no, they've been hit by some kind of rays. I hope they don't turn into something fantastic. Oh God. Oh, this guy, this, 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 this guy over here, he's gonna, he's gonna, gonna make claws come out from his hands. Oh. Oh, you've never seen that before. Uh, it's new. It's brand new. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey, kids. Hey, young boys. This guy lives in a manor. His name is Wayne. Hey, little boys. You want to f- have power fantasies? Anyway, he fights crime at night. He's real sad because his parents are dead. Oh, it makes him real sad and angry. He fights a joker. Hey, little boys. You like that? There's a clown. He fights a clown. You got you boys afraid of clowns? He fights clowns. And he adopts other little boys, oh, yeah, by the way. Not, brings them into a life of crime. Hey, hey, uh, you guys you guys interested in an alcoholic who wears a robot outfit? Anyway, his name's Tony Stark. It's a totally new comic we're rebooting. You've never seen it before. Totally new. Well, he, he used to be an alcoholic. Now I think he's a meth head. You gotta, you gotta up the stakes. Oh, did they? Did, I don't know. Somebody oh, I don't reboot. know if they I, Like I said, I haven't read. No, but, but uh, when you've lived through, like Brad and I have, yeah. 30 reboots, it's... Yeah. You you see all the tricks, and then you also you live through five crossover events, and you're like, "F this noise! I can't take right. the 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 business overpowers the art of it," and and yeah. you're just like, "I'm out," you know. But it is it's it is now an industry that has it sells to two people. It sells to um, uh, kids, you, of which they have a three to five year window to sell to them because mm-hmm. the comics are new. They've never really read a Batman comic before. And God, it's exciting to read a Batman. Or right. they sell to the 55-year-old guy who's been reading Batman and doesn't mind that it's still the same Batman because he loves his Batman. And mm-hmm. hey, look, it's Batman. Hey, look, at there's Batman. And it's also Batman. You right. know, that kind of thing. Now, everything that we just said, you have to really kind of understand what we just said because there is a whole uh, kind of movement in comics that that is like that that rebels and and dislikes the reimagining like what you made Thor a woman that's it I'm out or what you you reimagined a, a Spider-Man as a uh, as a young I actually kid think those are the best moments of comics right now but that's keep just going. it but but what I'm saying is that that's not what Dave and I are talking about the the, no. the reimagining what I'm talking about is a is a business thing don't you think yeah. Brad it's a 
Absolutely. Not an artistic decision. It's a business decision that like we have aged out of the kids that we're currently reading. They've all yeah. gone. So we need to start over with a new batch of 13 year olds, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, I, I just didn't want there to be any confu- any confusion about that because I really some of the reimaginings that I've seen I, I really like you know the right. uh, I, I like the new Spider Man I like the idea of a Spider Girl I, I like all of this stuff uh, but but for me I, it just got to a point where it, it wasn't connecting uh, personally with me and and so I, I jumped out go ahead yeah well that's one of the reasons why okay so I didn't get into what I do read which is. Um, every once in a while, I will read uh, something from Marvel or DC. And by when I say once in a while, for me, that's like every three to five years. I'll yeah. read usually a graphic novel collection that someone recommends to me, saying, "Hey, this is one that did it right. You know, this mm-hmm. this is a this is actually a good Batman story, or this is actually a good uh, like." There's that one from DC that came out. It won the Eisner a few years ago with one of the sons of Darkseid, and I'm forgetting what it is now. Um, oh darn it, Mister Mister Wonderful, Mister Mister Miracle. Oh. Mr. Miracle. Did you read that one, Mr. Miracle? I did not. Oh, that one was delightful. Just because it was so genre-breaking and the art was amazing. And uh, But when else am I picking up a DC book, Brad? You know me. Right. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, i got to get that Green Lantern. <laughs> Apparently he's got a ring, everybody, and the oh. ring is a power source. And well, then they turned the Green Lantern Corps into the Care Bears. There were yellow lanterns and blue lanterns and indigo lanterns. And into I was the like, Care Bears, you're right. Yeah. They, they pulled a Sailor Moon, didn't they? Everybody <laughs> they has really a color. When, when they did that, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of over this now. I kind of liked the idea of the Green Lantern Corps. That was one of my favorite comics was Green Lantern. But then all of a sudden, okay, and, and, and it was great that Sinestro, you know, had a yellow lantern ring. Okay, I'm into that. But then he had a Yellow Lantern core, and I'm like, nah, okay, I'm a little bit less interested. And oh, by the way, now there are Blue Lanterns and Black Lanterns, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting less and less interested in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, where, what I was getting at, because I, I want to share praise, which is yeah. I think that of, of the bigger ones, and it's a markedly big step down to say big, but Image, uh, I think, does it really well. And when uh-huh. I turn to comics these days, mainstream comics, quote-unquote, I turn to Image. I think Image is producing fantastic original stories that are not 48th rehashes of a story from 1948. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so I particularly love the sci-fi from Image. I think Black Science is great. I think Saga is amazing. Um, I think, um, oh, what's that new one from Kirkman with the parallel worlds? I forgot about that. Uh, I, I love that one. I thought that was good. And I'm blanking on the name. So it's I clearly dear to no my heart. Idea. Uh, but, you know, Image, I think, is doing really good work. And then from Image, I drop off really drastically. I, have, I don't think I've ever touched a book from Kaboom or Boom. I've no. never touched a book from IDW or, or any of those. I Honestly, yeah. I, I don't read any of those. But no, I, do I haven't read, seen anything that really appealed to me, no. I, I do. When I read online, I, I, I try to keep a good survey about that. But the truth is, I don't read as much as I used to. No. Although in the either. last two years, as is evidence from that checkout from the library, I've been <laughs> trying to catch back up, you know? Yeah. So, Dave, if we were to invite somebody from Marvel or DC or Image uh, on the show, who would it be? Uh, I would love to have the Saga team on. I think they're mm-hmm. they're doing really fun work with Saga. What's great as a creator to read Saga is I love it. I think it's amazing. I can a thousand percent tell that they're making it up as they go. Like yeah. they don't know where that story's going. <laughs> I can tell, but I love it anyway. I can, uh, but I, I think it's a fantastic story, and the art she is honestly one of the most amazing artists working today. I think mm-hmm. she is fantastic. 
Um, I would love to have them on. Uh, I would like to have. I like. I. I. I still enjoy Carl Kershaw's work tremendously. I think yeah. his his line work is amazing. Uh, and I think um, we've had him on the show, though. I think, though, haven't we, Brad? I, so, um, but anyway, who would you who would you have on, Brad? And the first name that came to mind is Gail Simone. I think she's a oh, really yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent writer. I, I follow her on social media, and uh, and she's just bright and funny and uh, entertaining. I think she. It, it, see, I, for me, I, it just just a, I and and this is just my own personal preference. I could look at somebody and say they do amazing art or they do really good writing and I don't want them on the show, right? Because none of that makes a good podcast. Mm-hmm. But Gail is so bright and entertaining in social media, I, I kind of figured that she'd be a good guest. So whatever she talks about would be interesting. She wouldn't even need to talk about comics necessarily. Yeah. Uh, bright is the right word and yeah. witty and, and fun. I, I could, you could tell that she would be fun to talk to. The right. same is true, actually, with Kelly Sue DeConnick, who I think would be super fun. Mm-hmm. Witty as heck, quick. I've seen her on panels. Yeah. Uh, really insightful. Uh, really trying new and interesting things with comics. Um, that would be fun. Uh, but as far as like the big ones, like if you poked me with a stick, Brad, I couldn't even tell you who writes X-Men or Batman or Green Lantern or because I, I don't know, because the truth is, I don't care. I like I don't. Right. It's not they, really they're it's not, not really our. They're uh, not being circles. written for me. Yeah. They're not being they're being written for a new 13 year old. And that's OK. That's and what that's it should what it's be supposed to be. Yeah, yeah that's what that, that is what it should be. And also, I don't know that Marvel and DC as companies care who's currently mm-hmm. writing. Like, I no. I don't know that the corporate masters give a shit any more than they are IP and story farms. You know, like I could very much see those going by the wayside by the end of the pandemic where we said this before. But I very, very quickly, like uh, like near future, you could see yeah. floppies particularly going away. But uh, but yeah, that, that I guess that's what it is for me is that, is that I'm not quite so interested in somebody that that does art that I'm really uh, excited about. So much as I'm interested in somebody who can be really good on a show and and talk in an interesting way. And yeah, so that's that's where my thoughts lie. Yeah, it, it is true that a podcast guest has to fit a different uh, set of goals than just I am a good storyteller. Right, you can have an right. incredible storyteller who is a terrible guest, you know? Yeah. Like if you've ever watched, for example, if you ever watch an interview with Charles Schultz, he's not a talker. God love no, him. No, no. He, he was an incredible cartoonist. It, what a boring interview he ha- he gives, though. We've talked about my one of my all time favorites, uh, John uh, Buscema, who was oh. uh, the Marvel artist that... <laughs> You can actually find would you like a YouTube- to do? Would you like to do our recreation yeah. of the comics video, yeah. How to Do Comics the Marvel Way? Yeah, All right, you, do you want to play Stan Lee or do you want to play John Buscema? You, you got to be Stan Lee because you okay. can do it better. And I can I can ab- absolutely do a Buscema. Okay, fantastic, friends. We're <laughs> back here learning how to draw comics the Marvel Way. And, John, why don't you tell the folks at home what you're drawing? Well, uh, Stan, I've got a pencil here. Okay, John, I'm going to take it back from you for a second. It looks like you're holding the pointy end. Am I right in saying that you're pointing that towards the paper, John? And this this pencil, I I, I sharpened. I'm just the... going to try to pep this up here for a bit, John. When I created Spider-Man single-handedly and no one else was involved... I, I 
then put the pointed edge of the pencil to the paper. Now, just going to jump in here real quick, John, just to mention that uh, when I single-handedly created Fantastic Four and there was no one else involved, I remember thinking to myself, Stan, you are single-handedly recreating comics in a perfect mold. Anyway, back to you, John. You'll notice that if I... Dr- Pull the pencil yeah. across. So, like, if the you, page. by the way, I think it's on YouTube. If you yes. get a second, pause this podcast and go watch that video because it's Stan talking about stuff that he has no idea about, which is basically how to draw. Which is art, yeah. yeah it was art, and but it's also him being aggrandizing about in the process of talking about art, and John just sweating through his shirt. You can see the sweat rings getting bigger and bigger because he hates being on camera. He's yeah. not a talker. Yeah, yeah, and, and in fact, I, I didn't really do it justice because the real the real John is not very good for podcasts because it was just him staring deer in the headlights at the at the camera, you know, yeah. maybe one step away from the Ralph Cramden hamana 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 hamana, you know, but he's sweating through his shirt. Uh, one of the top three comic artists of all time, uh, but boy, he's not a talker. No, you feel you honest to God feel like for John that. If you gave him the option, like, John, you could either continue to film this video with Stan, or here's the bridge from It's a Wonderful Life, John. You can jump off that right now. If somebody had opened a door in the studio, he would have made a bolt for it. (laughs) You just hear the goofy scream as he falls out out of the window. Hey, speaking of making quick exits, you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my pal Brad Geiger, the fantastic talker and the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And about the nicest friend a guy can have, Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab was made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that like Margaret the Librarian... I don't know why am I doing it like Margaret the Librarian. That's <laughs> it was weird. A good callback. Patreon.com slash comic lab. I'm bailing out on that. I don't know. I don't know how Margaret would have pronounced that. <laughs> Margaret would have just said, oh, yeah, I also share a love of books. Let's just wave this dollar ten. Uh, listen, we don't need listen to- if it'll get me off the phone with you, Dave, I'll pay the dollar ten out of pocket. <laughs> and I've paid a librarian's salary. I'm gonna pay it for you. <laughs> Just to end this phone call. That means I'm not going to eat next Friday. Thanks a lot. (laughs) But it's worth it not to hear you use my name in a sentence one more time. Margaret, Margaret, we got a we got a call coming in for you. Line five. Uh, it, it, it's a uh, it's a uh, public library uh, person by the name of Lee, Mister S. Lee. Yeah, can you can you pick up the phone, Margaret? Uh, yes, I'll I'll pick up the. Here we go. Click. 
Fantastic. Hello, Margaret. It's me, Stan Lee. You might know me as the creator of the Incredible Hulk. He's fantastic. He's a scientist that gets hit by gamma rays and turns into a beast Frankenstein style. His rage controls him. Anyway, Margaret, I'm calling because I seem to have an extra 55 cents on my library card for an overdue book about the hero's journey. I checked out the book about the hero's journey. I seem to have kept it a week or two too long, Margaret. You know how that goes, Margaret. Can I call you Margaret? I'm assuming it's Margaret. <laughs>